Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Bussman. Last week, I was in Orlando speaking at the Podcast Movement Conference. Had a great time. A lot of people came over to meet me after my talk, but three really made me smile. One is Kirk Griffin. Drives a tractor up and down okra fields for eight to ten hours a day. Curious guy. He's got a lot of time to occupy his mind. It's only natural that he listens to podcasts. Listens the whole time he's making sure that your gumbo is going to be good. Because as Dr. Michael DeBakey, the father of open heart surgery, once told me, the secret to gumbo is good okra. It's what makes that gumbo so thick. So let's pause for a moment and give thanks to the okra farmers of America. Now, on his off time, Okra Kirk would get together with his pals Josh and Zach Howe, and they'd talk podcasts, which ones they liked, which ones they should listen to. And one day, Josh tells Kirk about the Tim Ferriss Show, the episode where I was on as a guest. Actually, first time I was on Tim's show as a guest. Kirk listens to it, and the Podcast Discovery Show is born. They create their own podcast. You can find it anywhere. Podcast Discovery Show. And week after week, they discuss podcasts they like. So three of us hit it off, and I take them back to my hotel where I had a stash of sportique big question tees. I gave them all one and then asked them what they thought. First, you'll hear analytical Josh, then Okra Kirk, then Josh's brother, Zach. So what was it like I gave all three of you guys, and to be completely honest, gave all three of you guys a big question t-shirt, Sportique dreads. What was it like to feel those dreads for the first time? I'll put this out here, and I feel like I'm pretty uniquely qualified because at the convention, I did make it a point <laughs> to go see how many shirts I could get from, from the expo hall. And I did not feel one shirt that was as nice as the Sportique shirt you just gave me. 100% agree. Oh, man, there you it, go. It was remarkably soft. As soon as I touched it, I was like, this is a soft T-shirt. I'm like, feeling it right it's, now. It's of note. I uh, mean, so. if you're going to be out there in a tractor, in an okra field, there's no shirt better there than a sport <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we got we to gotta get the message out to all the okra farmers. Yep. Yeah. In the universe. Yep. The official shirt the of offic- Okra Farmers everywhere. <laughs> Sportique. Sportique. TMTM. <laughs> What's DMTM? Trademark. Yeah, he's just throwing in a verbal trademark for you. There you go. <laughs> the official, it's, it, that, that's their new slogan, is the official shirt for all Okra Farmers. Yeah. It's, so, it's so narrow, it's, but it's, it's effective. Yeah. We, did, we learned about that this week, right? Is your niche. Find your niche. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it not only works for Okra it works for any crop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My podcast today is about the polar opposite of that random experience. See, that was totally unexpected, but I loved meeting those guys. Those are moments that lift your life. Today's podcast 
is about distractions, those bumps in the road that don't lead you to good places, those bumps in the road that you'd like to remove from your life. Now that I'm stepping into the role of CEO, I want to increase the level of great random experiences while taking down the number of distractions that are always trying to knock me off balance. And my guest this week is just the right Smee. That means subject matter expert in business parlance. You see, I'm starting to pick up the business lingo. Well, Nir Eyal, that's N-I-R-E-Y-A-L, is an expert in behavioral design and time management. And he's got a book coming out in September. You can pre-order it called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Nir got a master's in business from Stanford and his work, in his own words, is aimed at helping companies create behaviors that benefit their users while educating people on how to build healthy habits in their own lives. You can access Nir's website at nearandfar.com. That's N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R.com. A few of my hardcore listeners reached out and recommended Nir as a great guest for big questions, and you'll soon see why, because all of you are going to have a less distracted life as soon as this episode comes to an end. So let's get straight to Nir Eyal. I'm diving into it. I'm diving into it, Nir. And you know, the beauty, the beauty of this, because we're going to talk about distractions, I am one of the few people who has not been distracted by technology except in those moments when I try to use it and it doesn't work. Yeah. I, there haven't been too many of those moments in comparison to the moments that everybody spends on their devices. I really haven't dived into it, but I'm going to pretty soon. So any tips you can give me on how not to be distracted will be highly appreciated. Yeah, I would start with the, the fact that distraction doesn't just come in the form of digital distractions, that distraction comes in all forms, shapes, and sizes. In fact, Socrates and Aristotle were talking about distraction 2,500 years ago, right? Way before Facebook and Google and Instagram and the news and all the crap that we think uh, distracts us today. Uh, it is part of the human condition. And so whether it's you know, uh, watching a football game when you really should should plan to be with your family or, um, uh, you know, not being fully present with your friends or, you know, one of the most pernicious forms is when you say you're going to do one thing at work and you end up doing something else, right? How many times has this happened to you where you sit down at your desk and say, okay, I'm going to do that big project. I'm going to write that report. I'm going to do the thing that requires a lot of concentration right after I check Google or right after I uh, check this email account. You know, even email, if you think about it, you know, email is is worky. It's something we kind of have to do. But if it's not what you plan to do, it can itself be a distraction. So let's break distraction down. Are distractions our fault? Because I'm remembering a time, I think I was in the eighth grade, and it came time to take the final 
think it was in history. And I'm taking this final, and there's a beautiful girl sitting in front of me, right in front of me, with a halter. And I just thought, you know, this is unfair. How am I supposed to concentrate? Now, is that a distraction or is it an obstacle? That would be what I call an external trigger. <laughs> but but I, I, we can get into what that means uh, in just a minute. But I think your question is right on. We have to start with definitions. Words really matter. And a lot of words get thrown around a lot around addiction and distraction and diversion and focus and uh, procrastination. What do all these things mean? So let's start by just defining what we mean when we say distraction. Distraction, to define it, we have to understand what the opposite of distraction is. The opposite of distraction is not focus it's traction. So traction and distraction actually come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. So traction is anything that pulls you towards what you want to do. Distraction is anything that pulls you away from what you want to do. Now, remember, both words end in the same root. They both end in the word action, right? Traction and distraction end in A-C-T-I-O-N, action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us. It is an action that we take. And so everything you plan to do, everything that it is you wanted to do with forethought, by the way, I don't care what it is you plan to do. The goal of my work is to help you do whatever it is that you yourself value, whatever it is you want to do. My goal is to help you live with personal integrity so that you can actually do whatever it is you say you want to do. So if you want to play video games, great. If you want to watch a football game, no problem. Email, work, whatever it is you want to do, if it's in accordance with your values, I'm going to help you do that. Now, what we want to make sure of is that we don't let others guide our behavior, okay? Because distraction comes in all forms and shapes and sizes. So whether it's your boss, a colleague, your kids, uh, the news, Facebook, whatever it is, these things, if you don't decide to act with traction, to make sure that you live with personal integrity, to do whatever it is you say you're going to do. In this day and age, it is becoming harder and harder to make sure you don't get distracted unless you learn how to become indistractable. So that's really the goal of my work. Well, when I was 13, I really wanted to do well on that final, but my hormones or whatever was going on there were just going nuts and I don't even know if that's my fault. Like <laughs> things are like beyond what I can focus on at that at that place in my life. Right. You were feeling impulsive, shall we say, that uh, yes. you were doing something you didn't want to do. Now, okay, this is a perfect segue. So we've got traction and distraction, right? We've defined those two things. Now, what Let's like really get break this down to, to first principles. Why do we do anything? Not why do we just get distracted? Why do we do things against our better interest? But why do we do anything? Turns out that two things motivate our behavior, external triggers or internal triggers. External triggers are the things in our environment, like this pretty girl who caught your eye, that prompt us to either traction or distraction. Internal triggers come from within. Right? So if you're feeling bored, lonely, uncertain, fatigued, you look for escape from discomfort with either traction or distraction. So in the case of this pretty girl, the fact that she was in your outside environment makes her an external trigger. Now, what might have been going on also is that while you were taking this test, it was hard. It was difficult work. And so you were trying to escape the discomfort of having to take that math test from your <laughs> internal triggers 
And then, of course, you caught you know what, something caught your eye in the form of an external trigger. No, no it was all the girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I, I I get that, and and those things are kind of beyond your control at, at certain points in your life when you're 13. Uh, but as you get older, you should get a grip on this. What happens, like when? Babies arrive. You start to become a parent, and now you're up all night with a crying infant. Is that a distraction to your life, or is that just normal behavior? Sure. No, that that can certainly be a distraction based on what you plan to do with your time. So if you plan to to sleep and something keeps interrupting you, uh, you've got a few choices to make, right? You can either make that part of what you want to do. So for example, if you say, look, I want to bring a child in the world, uh, it would behoove you to understand what's involved with this dramatic new responsibility in your life that part of what you're going to have to do to raise a child is to invest time and money into raising a child. And so, you know, part of becoming a parent is very much uh, planning to not sleep for a good chunk of time. I have a, a, a little girl who's about to turn 11 years old. I barely remember those first few years because I barely slept in those first few years because my, my memories are wiped out because of how little we slept. But that was part of it. So part, you know, you, you can find solutions, of course. You know, some people, man, you know, they break up the time with their significant other or they, they find some help, uh, domestic help to help them with that. But this is really about planning what you want to do. If, if your values are such that, you don't want to bring in a kid, a kid in the world because you you don't want to spend that time at night tending to a child. You'd rather sleep. I'm not going to tell you to have kids. That's up to you. But if your values are, no, no, I do want to bring a kid in the world. Well, then what you need to plan to do with that time is to devote it to potentially waking up for the first you know year or so from time to time. No, well, you know, what you're saying actually made me see life in a different way because for me, I have to think about getting up the next morning and going to work. Uh, at the time and ultimately writing a story. So I need to be focused on that. Uh, but m my wife, who was at home with the kids, uh, she saw her life very differently. Her life was built around taking care of the kids. So for her, maybe that crying wasn't a distraction. That's right. That's right. It's something that she did with intent. Now, you know, for, for very young kids, uh, we can't expect them to modify their behaviors. You know, if they're babies, they're going to cry when they need to be changed or fed or, you know, they, they really can't help that. However, as kids get older, we can teach them to respect our plans and not distract us because kids can be a distraction. So let me give you a very personal example. Uh, I work from home. I'm, I'm, we're talking here from my home office. And uh, I have a beautiful uh, about to turn 11-year-old. And many times she comes into my office and interrupts me. Now that's a distraction, and and if this doesn't resonate with you, because maybe you know, I don't know if you somebody out there doesn't ah, doesn't, doesn't have... resonate. <laughs> Three kids? Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, you get this. All right, dogs, terrific, cats. But if someone's listening and doesn't have kids, you know, th th just replace child with your boss. That probably won't be too hard to do. Uh, you know, imagine your boss coming by your desk and saying, "Hey, I just need to talk to you for a second. And you're in the middle of of a project that requires your focused attention. So what do you do? So let me. Can, can I tell you a quick story? Sure. So uh, it, it, one of the, the, the stories that really shed light on why distraction is, is such an important issue to, to deal with and why we need to become indistractable is what I learned to my amazement is the third leading cause of death in the United States. 
If I asked you, what's the third leading cause of death? I'll, t- I'll give you number one is heart disease. Number two is cancer. What's number Please three? Please don't tell me it's driving accidents because people are texting. <laughs> no, no, actually it beats that. The number three cause of death, the third leading cause of death in the United States of America, if it were a disease, would be prescription mistakes. People receiving in hospitals, believe it or not, 400,000 oh Americans God. every year are harmed by nurses and doctors giving them the wrong medication. Can you believe it? This is a completely preventable human error. Oh, man. Unbelievable, right? So most hospitals in America believe, oh, it's just, you know, it's fact of life. What are we going to do? Until a group of nurses from UCSF decided to figure out what was going on. What was the real source of the problem? And here's what they did. They did these studies and they tried to figure out where were these prescription mistakes occurring. And what they learned was that what was happening is that these nurse practitioners were getting distracted. They were on their medication rounds, and while they were dosing out medication, they were constantly interrupted. A doctor would stop them, a fellow nurse would stop them, a patient would ask them a question, and every time they got distracted, they did something they didn't want to do, they made mistakes. Now, the really awful part is they didn't even know they were making mistakes. They, you know, most of the time they didn't catch the mistake. Obviously, if they caught their mistakes, they wouldn't make the mistake. So this is a great analog for what we, the condition we find ourselves in, that we don't realize how much worse our performance is when we are constantly interrupted. So maybe your job doesn't require the kind of life or death decisions that a doctor or a nurse has to deal with. But for many of us, when we get distracted, our work suffers and we don't even realize how much better we could do, uh, how much better we could be, I should say, at work if we'd stopped getting constantly distracted. So what do we do? So I'll tell you what these nurses did. In this study, they found a way to reduce prescription mistakes, get this, by 88%. They almost eliminated the problem completely, an 88% reduction. And the solution was not some multi-million dollar program. It wasn't some fancy technology. It was plastic vests. What? Plastic vests that these nurses wore that said on the back, medication rounds in progress. And that sign prevented external triggers. The external trigger in this case was the doctor, the nurse, the patient interrupting them. So when they donned these bright plastic vests that told others, leave me alone, I am doing something that requires focus, they were left alone and they didn't make as many mistakes. So how how can we learn from this? What's the lesson here? The lesson is, that we can use the same principles, whether we work in an open floor plan office or whether we work at home, we can use this principle. So every copy of my book, Indistractable, comes with, in the center of the book, is a cardstock uh, piece of paper that you can pull out, that's, that's rigid, that you fold into thirds, and you put it on your screen, on your monitor. And this sign is bright red, and it says, I'm indistractable, please come back later. <laughs> So what you're doing is you're, you're telling your boss, you're telling your colleagues, come back a little later. I'm really, I'm busy right now. This is my phone. Now I don't say leave it there all day, but if you need 45 minutes, an hour, you know, a couple sessions of focused work to really think through a problem, this is a way to get that focused work time. I, I, that's a, it's a wonderful idea. Let me bounce something off you. Cause I'd like your opinion on this. I, in thinking about this, I'm realizing that I thought I was blessed uh, because I came up 
in the newspaper business. And so you would be in a newsroom. Uh, there were, we didn't have computers when I started. There were the old fashioned typewriters that clickety clacked and you'd have people on the phone interviewing. There was just always commotion in the newsroom and you had to learn to distill your thoughts and type them out clearly in that environment. And I notice when my kids have to do something similar, they're writing a paper or whatever, the slightest distraction just get, gets them upset, knocks them off balance. Whereas for me, I came up just learning how to push all that aside. Now, did my, was my performance suffering or did I actually gain something in that process? What I love about this example is how, uh, you know, you're, you're debunking this perception that we have that distraction is, is somehow a new thing. Uh, it's not a new thing, it's always been with us. And so what you learned to do was to block out these distractions. And perhaps for you, after, you know, uh, time and again, struggling with it, maybe you were distracted at first. And it, it, over time, you developed this, this muscle, this practice of being able to tune out distraction. The, the, the trouble is that for many of us, we have this expectation in the workplace that we have to respond constantly to everything. So I'm guessing when you were in the news business, uh, people, you know, people had a lot of uh, noise in the office, but they respected when someone was on deadline, when someone was working hard. I mean, I look, I love working in coffee shops. I find I'm incredibly productive in a coffee shop, even though there's noise, people talking, there's music, there's the barista making coffee. There are lots of potential uh, things that I could focus on, but because nobody bothers me, nobody comes and taps me on the shoulder, my phone isn't buzzing, my, uh, I, my email is shut down, my, I've, I've uh, changed my desktop environment on my computer to make sure I'm not getting these constant pings, dings, and rings, there are no external triggers that lead me towards distraction. Moving it forward, uh, you have kids. Distractions come into the house, at least if you've got to work and you've got to create something, you got to think clearly, you got to be on the phone. And the kids start to play video games. Is that, is that you beeping, by the way? Yeah, you know what? And that, more distractions. So Yes, so those are external triggers as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just hit the do not disturb there. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to eliminate the distractions. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's a super important step, by the way, because those pings and dings, this is the kind of stuff we have to learn to deal with. So it turns out you're not alone. Two-thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings, okay? Two-thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. That is a problem. I love you, Cal, but you got to spend five minutes on changing those notification settings because if you don't, these app makers, these technology makers are going to get you. So in my book, I give you this simple four-step process. It's going to take you maybe 45 minutes, and you will end that madness forever and ever. I'm gonna teach you exactly what to do so you no longer get interrupted in the meet middle of a meeting, time with your family, time with your friends, concentrating on important work. I'll teach you exactly what to do to get rid of that problem. Okay, so you know, you also wrote the book Hooked. Right. And you worked in the industry hooking people. Yeah, so yeah sorry about that. <laughs> how did I how did they hook me into this stuff? 
Well, that's and, e- that's exactly the, then, what they're doing right now. They're, so so look, I, I, to be totally clear, I, I was being a little facetious there when I said sorry about that because I, I don't work with any of the companies that uh, that that do the bad stuff. I you know I have a, an ethical code of companies I will not work with. I don't rely. I don't work with any companies that rely upon addiction. Uh, I won't work with tobacco, firearms, alcohol, pornography, machine gambling. I don't work with any of those companies uh, by by design. Um, I even don't work with Facebook and Google and those companies either. What I do is work with companies that are building healthy habits using the same exact psychology to build the kind of products that help people exercise more, uh, education products, uh, banking products, you know, things that create healthy habits in people's lives. So that's what I do with Hooked. Now, there's no dichotomy because, because I can help people build healthy habits while also teaching everybody out there an insider's perspective on exactly how the, the bad guys <laughs> hook you to things that you maybe don't want to be hooked to. Okay, how, how do they do that to me? And then how do I fight back once I even get in the game? Yeah, so I'll walk you through real quick how they do it to you. And, and, and this sa- might sound pernicious if you think about it in, in how you know, some of the, the gaming companies and the advertisers use these techniques, but it doesn't have to be. Just to, to make sure I'm clear here, you can use these same techniques if you're building a product that you want to turn into a habit, you can use these very same techniques for good, right? But here are the four basic steps. So every one of these products uses what's called a hook model. The hook model are these four basic steps of a trigger, an action, a reward, and finally an investment. I'll I'll walk you through it super quick. A trigger, there are two types of triggers. We talked about them earlier when it comes to how to become indistractable. You have external triggers, those pings and dings you were just receiving uh, that call you to action with something in your outside environment. And then you have the internal triggers, the uncomfortable emotional states that turn out to be the linchpin of forming a habit. So the ultimate goal of a habit-forming product is to attach an uncomfortable sensation to the use of that product. So when you're feeling lonely, you check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, you check, I don't know, the news, Twitter, stock prices, sports scores, lots of things cater to the feeling of boredom. So that's the ultimate goal of a product is to attach itself, a habit-forming product, I should say, attach itself to some kind of emotional discomfort. By the way, that's also what we have to do to become indistractable is to recognize what feeling are we trying to escape? Why do we check our phones at the dinner table? Why can't we sit through a meeting with our colleagues without looking at our phone? What's the internal trigger, the uncomfortable emotion that we are looking to escape? That's a critical question to becoming indistractable. But these products are all designed to attach themselves to an uncomfortable feeling. Next comes the action. The simplest thing you can do in anticipation of a reward. Open the app, scroll a feed, click a video, open a message. Those are all examples of the action phase. Then comes the reward. And the reward is typically a variable reward. So this comes out of the work of B.F. Skinner, the father of operant conditioning. He did these very famous experiments in the 1940s and 50s where he took these pigeons and he put them in a little box and he gave these pigeons a disc to peck at. And every time the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would receive a reward, a little food pellet. And what Skinner observed was that he could train these pigeons to peck at the disc as long as they were hungry, by the way. This experiment didn't work if the pigeon didn't have the internal trigger of hunger. But if the pigeon was hungry, they would be trained to peck at the disc and get a reward. But when Skinner ran out of these food pellets, 
he had a problem. He couldn't afford to give them a food pellet every single time. So instead, he only gave it to them once in a while. So sometimes the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would get a reward. The next time the pigeon would pick at the desk, they would get no reward. And so what Skinner found to his amazement is that the rate of response, the number of times the pigeon pecked at the disc increased when, no. when the response was oh, given on a variable man. schedule of reinforcement. And so oh, this no. is the backbone of all sorts of things that are engaging in our life, right? It's what makes a book interesting. It, it's what makes romance romantic. It, what, it's what makes a sports match fun to watch. And of course, it's what makes our technology so habit-forming. It's called an intermittent reinforcement, a variable reward, that uncertainty that keeps us pecking and checking. Oh, no. We don't know if it's going to be good. Right. But it might be. It's mystery. I mean, look, let, 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 let's uh, not have the, the pot calling the kettle black. Right now, for those of you who are listening, you keep listening because you're not sure what's going to happen next. Right? What, what am I going to say? What's the next insight? What's going to happen? You keep listening because of uncertainty. Variability is what keeps us engaged. You so, know what? I, I, I always thought of it as curiosity. Absolutely. It, yeah. It, it, it's that just the good way of looking at it? Sure. Well, so it's, it's two sides of the same coin. You know, every behavior, every behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. So even curiosity, not knowing is uncomfortable. You want to know, you crave to know, you desire to know. And psychologically <laughs> speaking, that is uncomfortable. You have to do something to relieve that discomfort. Oh my So those goodness. are the first three steps. We didn't get to the fourth step. The fourth and final step is what's called the investment phase. The investment phase is where you put something into the product to make it better with use so you come back again. So anytime you add data, content, followers, reputation, any of these things make the product better and better with use. So for example, every time you uh, use Facebook and you add a friend, like something, comment on something, you are giving the company data to customize the product just for you based on your preferences. And so this does two things. It stores value in the product. It makes the product better with use, which if you think about it is amazing. That's never happened in the history of manufacturer that you are basically making a product for every single one of your users. That's amazing in real time. But then also it loads the next trigger. So when I um, uh, send someone a message, right? If I sent you a text message or an email or a Slack message or whatever, I'm loading the next trigger because I'm likely to get a reply. And that reply comes in the form of an external trigger. Remember one of those, those pings and dings that prompts me through the hook once again. So that's how they get you. Man. I, well, it comes down to no matter how you want to look at it, I guess it's this is the first time I've ever equated like curiosity with insecurity. What, why do you say insecurity? Uh, well, if you're insecure about something, you're often curious. Let's take it back to the analogy of if somebody was taking a, a final and they needed to get a passing grade. Uh, they could be curious as to whether they passed and want to know what the grade was, or they could be insecure that, uh oh, I don't know if I'm going to pass. And so when the ding comes, they've loaded you up. No, that's, that's true. I mean, if you think about the news business, 
the news business doesn't care if they're giving you information you really need. The news business, no, no offense. By the way, I was a journalism major in undergrad. You know, they taught us the first rule, if it bleeds, it leads. Because we're curious. We want to know the first three letters of news is N-E-W, new, right? Nobody wants yesterday's news. They want today's news. What don't I know? Because people feel insecure. They're stressed about what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter if there's anything they can do about that stuff. 99% of what you read in the newspaper, you have absolutely no ability to change in the world. But of course, we're curious. We want to know. We're scared. We're uncertain. And the, the antidote for that, to feel like we have some kind of control and assuage that feeling, those uncomfortable states, is to at least read about it. All right. So conversation moves forward. We've already talked about having babies. Kids start to grow up, start to play video games. Now, I know kids get hooked on those games. I mean, companies do a great job in eliciting screams and stomping and all kinds of emotions. Should we be doing something to negate that? Yeah, well, I, I will tell you that, you know, these companies uh, understand what makes you click and, what, and understand what makes you tick better than you understand yourself. And so clearly, if you are susceptible to distraction, they're going to get you, they're going to get your kids, no doubt about it. However, it's not their fault. It's our fault. We love to blame as parents. And again, I, I'm a parent and I would love nothing more than to blame my child's bad behavior on something. And the history of parenting is littered with examples of us parents doing this, right? Whether it's the sugar high, you know, we all know about the sugar high. You give your kid too much sugar, they act crazy. Bullshit, it's not true. Study after study has found there is no such thing as a sugar high. It's a myth. It's an urban legend. The only people that feel a sugar high are parents who freak out about their kids having a sugar high. I mean, studies have done this where they give kids a placebo, but they tell the parents your kid just had a Kool-Aid. The parents are the ones who act crazy, not the kids. But we love doing this. You know, the myth of teen hormones, not true. In societies who are not industrialized, there is no such thing as teenage rebellion doesn't happen. It's only in industrialized societies that we have this myth of teenage rebellion. It's bullshit. And today, the bullshit is the, the video games are doing it to our kids. It's not true. The video games, the technology, the social media is the proximate cause. It's not the root cause. And I get really upset about this. I mean, you can hear the passion in my voice about this stuff because I was tricked. I was tricked by news headlines and fear mongers who told me that the problem was the technology. So I took technology away from my kid to her detriment, right? Because there's lots of great stuff that happens with technology that, that I pulled her away from as well without fixing the problem. The real problem, and, and by the way, what really pisses me off is that when we blame the proximate cause, like if you say, oh, my kid acted crazy because of a sugar high, you're not dealing with the real reason your kid is acting like an imbecile. And so we have to deal with the real problem. The real problem of what kids, the reason kids overuse technology. And again, the tech companies will gladly service their needs. But the real problem is that our kids are deficient in psychological nutrients. There are three psychological nutrients that everyone on earth needs. And this isn't my research. This is research that is 50 years old now. It's called self-determination theory. 
It's the most widely researched and accepted theory on human motivation, which says that human beings require three things to have psychological well-being. They need a sense of competency, autonomy, and relatedness. And these are the exact same three things that our kids are deficient in. And so when you're deficient in something, just like the body needs three macronutrients, carbohydrates, fat, and protein, if you're not getting them in the real world, if you don't get these things, you look for them, you find them somewhere else. And so our kids are deficient in these psychological nutrients of competency, autonomy, and relatedness. And so if they're not getting them in the real world, they get them in the virtual world. But if we don't address these real problems with our kids, they're always gonna get distracted by something. And you, and you know I'm right here because this generation, it's video games, before that it was rock and roll music, before that it was comic books, before that it was the pinball machine. I mean, literally every one of these inventions, there was a moral panic that was melting kids' brains and making them act awful. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just the latest thing, but we have to get down to the real issues of why don't our kids feel competent? Well, they don't feel competent because we test the hell out of them all day and make them feel like idiots by these all these stupid standardized tests we impose down kids' throats. Why don't they feel autonomy? Well, because kids today, there was a, a fantastic study done a few years ago that found that the average American child has twice as many rules imposed upon them on a day-to-day -day basis than a convicted felon in prison. Oh my God. There are, there's only two places that we allow people to be told what to do, what to think, where to go, what to wear, who to be friends with, what to eat, and that's school and prison. Oh and they feel goodness. no autonomy throughout the day. So where do they go to feel autonomy? They're gonna start they a rebellion in my house, man, when my youngest daughter hears this. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to let her listen to the episode. <laughs> 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 but this is this is the truth, brother. And then finally, relatedness, right? What, what about relatedness? Well, they're not feeling relatedness because there is a crisis of play in this country. It used to be when I grew up, American neighborhoods sang with the sound of children playing. Go drive around a neighborhood these days. You won't see kids out. Why? Because we're all terrified. We've all been convinced by the fear-mongering media that our kids are going to be kidnapped and abducted. This is the safest time in history to be a kid, but we all keep our kids indoors or we put them in programs to teach them soccer and mandarin and swimming and ballet instead of just letting them get the most important thing they need in their day, which is free play. And you know what kids do when they don't have free play? They look for relatedness somewhere else. And you know where they go for it? Social media. Video games. Exactly, social media, because that's where you can feel relatedness. So again, it's not that these companies don't play a role. Of course they do, but it's not the root cause. The root cause goes much, much deeper. So is there any way of looking at this? You're, you're kind of turning my thoughts in a different direction because this is not a tech issue. I mean, what hit me when you were talking about people getting upset with pinball machines, that was before my time because when I came about, everybody loved pinball machines. But mm, but there there was a huge actually a, a moral panic to to ban pinball machines at one point. No, yeah, no. absolutely. The same You're with novels. Me. They thought novels were the worst thing ever because they would you know they would uh, create all these terrible ideas, particularly in women's minds. They didn't want women reading novels because it was such a a terrible lustful thing. All right, so this is really all about what's inside of ourselves. We've got to fix what's inside of ourselves in order to deal with the way the people who are programming the technology 
are looking for those weaknesses to exploit. That's right. That's, that's exactly it. Now, again, they will take advantage of you. If you are susceptible to distraction, uh, for sure, they will try. However, we are more powerful than we know. And it turns out there are some simple things we can do to become indistractable, that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. If you know what to do, these companies don't stand a chance. Literally, they don't stand a chance because there's nothing that Facebook can do if you turn off your notification settings, right? There is nothing that one of these big bad companies supposedly can do if you plan your day according to your values, not theirs. There's nothing they can do if you deal with this discomfort, if you teach your kids to deal with boredom, anxiety, stress in a healthier manner and not impulsively turn to these devices as pacifiers. So I can just set my notifications to off and <laughs> be, be notified, like you just turn them off and then you just turn them on and get them in bulk. Is that the idea? So what you do, so you have to ask yourself, what are the notifications that deserve the right to interrupt me? And really, it know? should be maybe phone calls, maybe text messages, and nothing else. Turn all that crap off. You can adjust these notification settings, even phone calls and text messages. Right now, my phone is set to do not disturb, and that comes standard with, with Apple's operating system, so that if anybody text messages me or calls me, you know what happens? They get an instant message that says, that replies instantly back to them, that says, I'm sorry, I'm indistractable right now. Please call back later. And if it's urgent, if it's urgent, they will get an auto reply that says, if it's urgent, text me with the word urgent and your message will come through. I've never once gotten one of those messages. And when it comes to email, nobody's gonna send you an emergency email. If your house is burning down and it can't wait for 15 minutes, they're gonna call you. <laughs> they're not gonna send you an email or a Slack message. You certainly don't need to get all that crap on Facebook or Instagram while you're doing your focus work. And again, if you wanna use Instagram and Facebook or YouTube, whatever, great, do it but do it on your schedule, not when the app maker wants you to use it. Okay, now you know. Now I'm starting to understand why I was getting those text messages back. They were programmed. <laughs> they were programmed to respond to my call that way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they're, they're gonna get you. If you don't take action, they are gonna get you, no doubt about it. All right, you know what I wanna finish up with? I wanna finish up with a quote from Woody Allen. I spoke to him a few years back and he brought up distraction in a way that I was not expecting it. And he, here's what he told me. He said, it's just an accident that we happen to be on earth, enjoying our silly little moments, distracting ourselves as often as possible so we don't have to really face up to the fact that, you know, we're just temporary people with a very short time in a universe that will eventually be completely gone. And everything that you value, whether it's Shakespeare, Beethoven, Da Vinci, or whatever, will be gone. The earth will be gone. The sun will be gone. There'll be nothing. The best you can do to get through life is distraction. Love works as a distraction. And work works as a distraction. You can distract yourself a billion different ways, 
But the key is to distract yourself. From that point of view, distraction looks pretty good. Well, I would, I would respectfully d- disagree with Mr. Allen, perhaps in our definition of what distraction means. Uh, it's telling, of course, that a movie maker would say this because, of course, you know, we watch movies to get out of our heads, to escape reality for a while. And there's nothing wrong with it. I just wouldn't call it distraction. If you want to watch a movie and that's what you plan to do with your time, that's traction, not distraction. Distraction is when you want to be with your lover, when you want to be with your children, when you want to do good work and your phone pings and dings you and you can't do the thing you intended to do. That's distraction. Anything you do with intent is not distraction. The time we plan to waste is not wasted time. Oh, I love that line. The time we plan to waste is not wasted time. Ooh, you know what? We may have to close on that. Can let, you got any toppers? <laughs> That's about the best I got. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Thank you so much because now I understand how to take the notifications into my own hands. There you go. You're more powerful than you think, Cal. Well, you know what? I feel like you just handed Popeye a can of spinach. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm so glad to hear it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And I'm going to go off and play some pinball. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Thanks again. This was fun. Cheers. That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. Who would have thought, Tim? Who would have thought that your suggestion would lead me to speaking at the Podcast Movement Conference? I'm told Big Questions is in the top 5% of podcasts in the world, and it's all just been fun. I haven't even reached the audience acquisition phase. You see? As CEO, I'm learning that business lingo. The best is yet to come. And I want to thank El Chen for help with creating a venue for listeners of Big Questions to come together and be part of a community. We got some big plans here that I'll tell you about once we're in the execution stage. But for now, let me just say thanks for all of you who listen to Big Questions and spread the word about it. And don't forget to also spread the word about my sponsor, Sportique. Whether you're an attractor in an okra field or hanging out with your friends, a Sportique t-shirt, hoodie, or sweatpants will enable you to roam in comfort. See what I mean by going to Sportique.com, that's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com, and using the offer code CAL for a 20% discount, you should see the smile on people's faces when they first feel those sportique threads. I hope your week is filled with those kind of smiles. See you next week and cheers. Cheers.